0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Coming up on this episode of Off Air with Joe and Oral. We've got Ross Stripling as our guest this week. Um, We recorded with Ross at 9.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. Dave Roberts was 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. I think it's important to point out that news breaks between those two sessions, so between 9.30 yesterday morning and 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon, that Rob Manford and Tony Clark met face-to-face for the first time. So we even reference it with Ross that things might change quickly, but just some perspective that that news had not broken yet when we talked with Ross, who does give us a player's side and player's perspective on the negotiations. He's really good insight from Ross on that. Uh, He's a bookworm. We know that Ross loves books. He gives us updates on what he's been reading, and we let him
2: play commissioner for a day himself. And of course, we have Dave Roberts, and with Dave, we let him play commissioner, and most guys, they just have like one suggestion or struggle, but Dave had a good list and really some things that could strike up some conversations in the future. But
1: before we get into all that, I want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by seventy six. UCLA Health and Security Benefit. Harness unlimited energy from the sun through solar, a sustainable investment for energy independence. Curious to see if solar is worth it for you? Calculate your savings with Cells, the number one solar panel market share leader and official solar partner of the Dodgers. Visit Cells at www.q-cells.us
2: to learn more today. When you get gas at 76 save up to $0.25 per gallon when you pay with My76 app. So go ahead, count your savings, cent by cent. $0.25 is a combined savings of $0.15 off per gallon. Up to 30 gallons at participating 76 locations and $0.10 off per gallon when you pay with your My76 app. Select payments, methods may apply, offer valid through September 30th, 2020. UCLA Health, official medical partner of the Dodgers, wants
1: you to remember that you've got to continue to do your part to play for Team LA. That means wearing a face covering when out in public, but it also means that every Angelino has to keep up with their regular medical care. So do your part for your own health, for your family's health, and for your community's health. Go ahead and book a doctor's appointment or schedule a video visit. We need you on this team. The people of Los Angeles have shown that we're resilient as individuals, but unstoppable when we work together. From the frontline health care workers, the grocery store clerks, delivery drivers, folks working from home, everybody keeping their physical distance, regularly washing their hands, we all play for Team LA. Visit
2: UCLAHealth.org to learn more about how you can do your part. Every winning team is built on a strong team, a team committed to executing a solid game plan. At Security Benefit, we want to help you and your advisor build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to go, it's time to execute. You know what you've got? A solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option. Talk to your financial advisors to see how you can plan your retirement. Security Benefit, is a proud sponsor of the los angeles dodgers
1: all right so we've got episode 11 of off air coming up right now hit it frankie Ross, you might be the busiest man in baseball.
3: I might be. You're right. I, uh, I might have bit off more than I can chew this quarantine, but it's been fun and it's kept me busy, which is good.
1: Podcast continues to grow, right? You, did I see episode 73 you just had with Trevor Bauer?
3: Uh, that's what it said. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't keep up with the numbers as well as my co-host does. But yeah, I mean, heck, man, we're 15, 16 months into it now. So that, that sh- math checks out.
2: Trevor Bauer, that's an interesting guest.
3: Yeah, it was a great one. Or, by the way, you sound like a like a hey. Barry Manilow or something. <laughs> like Jazz so- DJ this early. Yeah. <laughs> We're taping this a little earlier in the morning for me. <laughs> yeah.
2: I usually get up about the crack of noon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, yeah, Trevor was great. Trevor's that guy that you have on because you kind of expect him to go crazy a little bit, you know, and I think that he knows that. And um, really, all you got to do is just kind of say, like, you know, go go read what he's post it on Twitter and you're going to find out exactly how he feels, which is great. There's a lot of players that are are scared to do that, whether it's job safety or public, um, you know, how the public perceives them or whatever. But Trevor's is definitely one of the guys that can go out there and say exactly what he feels. And you got to commend him on that. And um, on our podcast, he basically did more of the same. He didn't go nuts. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't say anything over the line. He just said how he feels. And uh, it's good. It's refreshing, you know, because, as I'm sure we'll get into our our talks and negotiations with the union right now have gotten completely out of hand. I think anyone can argue that differently. So uh, it's good to have a player that's willing to come out and, and speak his mind as as often as Trevor does.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely dive into that as this goes on. Did you um, have an existing relationship with Trevor beyond just bumping into each other?
3: Yeah, Trevor. Um, let's see. Trevor lived in Houston for a while. I I, I believe I met him years ago. I mean. the long enough ago where he probably didn't even remember me. And then now uh, he has a media company called Momentum where he's doing an awesome job trying to build brands of baseball players, really MLB players. MLB in general doesn't seem to advertise and build brands of their players like the NBA and the NFL do. And I think Trevor found that is a, is a big hole that needs to be filled and he's trying to do that with his brand called Momentum. It's, it's really cool what he does. And anyways, long story short, I've been on some of his stuff that he's done for his, for his company. And um, that's how we've met.
1: So you've got the podcast, you've been hosting a weekly show for the Dodgers, you're doing all this stuff. Do you do it as preparation for post playing career? Or do you do it because you really enjoy doing it right now?
3: It's a bit of both. And I think I've talked to both of y'all about this before, actually is, is I've had people come up to me and say, you know, do you want to pursue a broadcasting type uh, role after baseball, whether it's in a booth or in a studio or whatever it might be. And I've always kind of said, you know, I don't really know what, what I do know is I don't want to coach, but I don't I have a hard time believing that I'll just be able to walk away from baseball and, um, go do the, you know, finance thing or whatever it might be. I obviously want to stay in baseball if someone will have me, but I don't know what that role could be. So I believe the podcast and some of the stuff that you mentioned I'm doing on social media is kind of a good way to test the waters and see if, uh, if I enjoy it, if I'm any good at it, if people enjoy hearing my voice, enjoy hearing my take and opinions. Um, and so far I've loved it. Like, you know, I told you a little bit before, I'm about a year in to the podcast and enjoying it. I mean, it hadn't felt like a burden one time.
2: A West Coast team, you could do the finance in the morning and the broadcasting in the <laughs> afternoon.
3: Man, I'm a married man, Oral. I think you got to <sighs> post baseball, you got to save some time for your wife, right? You know, so yeah. I don't necessarily think it'll be one or the other. I do agree with you that I would like to do both in, in some regard. But, um, you know, hopefully I'm pitching another 10 years and we'll cross that bridge later on.
1: Yeah. We'll worry about this a long time down the road. Do you find yourself getting more and more comfortable behind a microphone?
3: Yeah, definitely, man. I tell you what, we just joined a network on this podcast and part of that was going back and listening to some of our old episodes and just uh, how stiff we sound and how hard it was to get through 15 minutes you know, of content. Now we plug in the microphone and we almost have to make each other stop after an hour because we just can kind of get going and, and lose ourselves down rabbit holes. You know, you used to want to stay structured so much you would make a plan and you want to stick to it so bad. And then you realize that actually going off script sometimes makes makes for the best podcast or the best interview or whatever it is you're doing. So uh, definitely got more comfortable and uh, and especially in the interview style. You know, as someone that usually gets interviewed, I'm used to that. And then to flip it around, kind of like how oral you do now in, in your life, um, that, you yeah. know, that's kind of a big difference.
2: Have you learned any tricks?
3: Well, the trick, and it's and it's I guess it's not even a trick and and um, or a skill. Yeah, it is to be present, right? So when you ask a question, listen to the answer. Don't ask a question and then get your next question ready. You know, be present for what they're talking about in that moment. And maybe a, uh, a follow up to that is actually better than whatever you had written ahead of time. And I'd say it's really as, as simple as that is if you're the one doing the interview.
1: Oral, you did a lot of preparing yourself
2: for post playing career while you were a player, but yeah. you know, I mean, he's, he's ahead of where you were. Yes, he is. But it's good. You know. You just continue to pass it on. So it's fantastic to, uh, to watch Ross go through his career. I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned post-career that I wish I would have known during the career was to build that network of skills, not just observe them. And I think him in action. The mm-hmm. only person I can think in my day that actually did some radio, uh, Jerry Royce did a little, but uh, Bob Brenly had his own Bob mm-hmm. Brenly show. When Rick he Monday was a did a little a bit while he was yeah, playing. a little bit. Mm-hmm.
3: A little bit of a different era, right? Or like I think yeah. if these things would have been available for you while you were playing, there's no doubt you yeah. would have, have started, uh, you know, kickstarting Something. that campaign for after baseball.
1: Uh, it's the Big Swing podcast for those of you that haven't been able to listen to it yet. Do you have any favorite episodes for maybe a first-time listener who wants to take it for a spin?
3: My favorite episode has always been and probably always will be the Rich Hill episode, And I know Dodger fans and baseball fans in general love Rich Hill. And there's probably still a lot of people that don't even know Rich Hill, know Rich Hill's story. Uh, He was pitching in San Francisco and got hurt. This was in, heck, whatever it was, late April, early May, when he went on to miss, you know, eight, ten weeks of the season. He got hurt in that game and still came and did a podcast with me afterwards. And I don't know if there's many guys that would have done that. And, um, man, he, he broke down in tears multiple times. During the podcast, uh, talking about his son Brooks who passed away, his career of going to indie ball, coming back and getting to a place where he could sign a contract and take care of his family, just a big emotional episode. And it's my favorite because I was there in person for it and and got to you know basically have that conversation with him in person. Other people obviously just have to hear it through headphones or in your car, or whatever it is, so it doesn't resonate quite the same. But he has such an awesome story, and um, a lot of people don't know it. So I always say, please go listen to the Rich Hill one if you can.
1: I'm sold. What did you learn from being with Rich Hill for a few years?
3: Rich is awesome because he's, I mean, he's a 40 year old man, right? So he's got the old school (laughs) baseball still, which is like, go out and compete. But he is still around because I mean, he throws 88 miles an hour, but he might have the highest spin rate in baseball, right? So he had to dive into the analytical side, the new school version of baseball and figure out how he can stick around. And that was throwing up in the zone, curveball usage, all that kind of stuff. And uh, as a guy that throws a big curveball, I was able to learn a lot from him. You know, he can really manipulate how he throws it and which way it's going to break. He can break it, you know, let's see, he's a lefty. So he can break it left to right, 12-6. He can even drop down and throw it sidearm. Um, you know so I, he helped me with curveball a lot because I was still always trying to aim the curveball Rick Honeycutt helped me stand Kofax I've, I've just been lucky to be a part of an organization that's had great curveballs or people that can teach curveballs um, and basically told me to throw it as hard as you can and I was always trying to aim it kind of cast it get it exactly where I want because that's kind of how I pitch I can I can throw it where I want to typically so a curveball I would just try and throw it where I want to right and um, They said, you can't do that with a curveball, man. You got to rear back and throw it as hard as you can and let it travel 58 feet if you can on a straight line before it breaks. And uh, that's really when my curveball took a a step forward.
2: You have a feel for that old school playing with a 40-year-old like Rich Hill. And you have a feel, of course, for the new school of baseball. What percentage of it kind of comes into the modern player? What what do you feel like the old school and the new school what's going on out there in the field
3: Yeah good question you know'm I'm, I'm once again very lucky to be a part of an organization that has both and uh, they're definitely diving into the new school I mean we hired a guy from Line who is going to be a part of our system working from guys in Arizona up to the big leagues and, and teaching them that side of the analytical you know side of pitching and uh, there's many organizations that are starting to do that but we still have Rick Honeycutt even Mark Pryor is like a really good balance between the old school and the new school. And then we have pitchers that have been around for a long time, Kershaw's rich Hills. And um, so the Dodgers are still very much a happy medium. Now, when I start talking to guys from other organizations, maybe a young organization, let's say the, um, let's say the pirates or uh, I don't even know the Marlins rays. Mar- or- yeah. You know, it's, it's uh man. Yes. For like a percentage, I'd say it's like 80% new school, maybe more. I mean, yeah. it's, these these kids now, I mean, go look at the draft, man. We got like Rap Soto stats on high school kids. You know, we know what their spin rate is and their in their vertical drop and all these things that I didn't even know until I was a twenty-eight-year-old man. You know, now we got sixteen-year-old kids working. Are
2: you checking on that stuff mid-game? If you're out there for three, four innings, you're starting going seven, are you like third inning? Like my curveball's not working. I'm going back checking my spin rate, or I'm gonna
3: I'm not, but uh Trevor Bauer did mention that he does that. Yeah, and um, you know, and I don't, I don't even think like a Bueller does it. Who is probably the most analytical guy we have. Bueller does it right after a start. He gets a big printout of what his stuff was that day, and uh, but to my knowledge, we don't have anyone that does it mid mid game.
1: How about on the pitch design side, Ross? You came into spring training talking about the changeup that you had changed the grip on over the winter. Was that a true pitch design thing, or was that more old school, where you tinkered with one grip and then another, and eventually found one?
3: Well. You know, I would, uh, I guess I would argue what's the difference between those two things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. It was probably more on the pitch design path. Because
1: so I guess the feedback, did you get true advanced analytical feedback on each thing you were trying? Exactly.
3: Okay. Yeah. Good call. That's what, that's what the difference would be. Yeah. The feedback was coming from a computer instead okay. of a human being, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes it more pitch design. We would, this was the first time in my career that I have basically gone to a bullpen with a rap Soto or a track man on me with a computer screen right behind me with an edutronic camera, which is showing in very slow motion, how it's coming out of my hand, where I would throw a pitch and I would stop and we would wait for the computer to pick up my stats. And we would look at it. We would look to see how it comes off my finger and be like, all right, let's switch it up a fraction of a degree one way or another, throw it again, stop check it out on the screen, you know? So that was, the, I guess that I would call that pitch design for the first time that I've ever done that. And, um, tell you what I, I'm sold on it because it was instant feedback and instant, instant, success. By the time I walked away from that bullpen, I knew what worked and what didn't on that changeup. And, um, you know, I can see why, why guys buy into that because it, it's, it's actually great to get that instant feedback.
2: You know, I've always said in interviews and different things that I'm not sure I could have slept in this generation because <laughs> I'd be studying so much.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. Or I tell you, you, you see it, man. Guys get locked down in it and they, or maybe they throw that perfect pitch one time and they that's like, the no, it's, I worry about it's with like, guys. yeah, yeah.
2: 80, 80% was always, 80% was about my goal in a side work, in a getting ready for a game. Eight out of 10. If I can get to eight out of 10, I can take the pitch into the game, you know? yeah this would be, I think, and if you're going for that perfect pitch, think about your curveball, think about your changeup, think about your fastball. If you're going for the perfect one, I feel like your ratios are going to be down, not up.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's, you know, it's a mixture of putting too much pressure on yourself. Uh, You're not competing because now you're thinking about your numbers and you're thinking about other stuff. You know, it, it, I agree. I think that, there's still a happy medium that has to be had. And and those things are good for your side works and good for maybe changing new pitches or grips or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, when you're 60 feet, six inches away with the lights on, you know, it's, it's about bogging down and getting after a hit or not worrying about what your spin rate was in your last bullpen.
1: You touched on it earlier, Ross, and we we could talk this stuff all day, but I think the elephant in the room is what's going on in baseball right now and the negotiations between the Players Association and the owners. We can read all we want, but we thought it'd be good to get a guy like you on here who is on one of those sides. From your perspective, what in the world is going on with baseball?
3: Yeah, man, you know, what a loaded question. Uh, we have a group chat going and all 40 guys on our 40 man, there might even be some extras on there. Some of our young guys that we're trying to get, um, you know, on with us and, and teach them, you know, stuff like this and how it goes when you're, when you're battling owners in a CBA or even something like this, a pandemic um, what's going on is we all don't understand how it got this bad. And, and you look back and, and you wonder, man, how did we get to June 17th and we still have nothing on the docket? And uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably let you ask a more specific question because right now, really, the only thing you can say is just we 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 never in a million years thought it would get like this.
1: What are those group texts like? What's the tone on there? What's what are the messages going back and forth without giving away any secrets?
3: Right. You know, it it's it's varied. Obviously, you know, when the first thing we get is a health and safety proposal and you're talking about not being able to shower or eat at the field. And, and, um, you know, what happens if I'm in Colorado and I get sick, how do I get home? Like that kind of stuff wasn't in that health and health proposal. So that was the talk for a while. Um, and, and, uh, then obviously you start getting into games and money and, and, you know, you feel like the owners basically sent the same proposal over three times, just masked in different words. And, uh, now it feels like it's not even about baseball anymore. Now it feels like two sides kind of jockeying each other about a grievance and setting themselves up against a grievance, and uh, and maybe two you know two sides almost in a PR bo- a PR battle of sorts um, instead of making it about baseball. Instead of getting in a room and, and sitting down and talking about it, they're doing it through media outlets, and and um, you know it's just a shame. We had an opportunity to be the first team back, first sport back. Even could say like a Fourth of July opening day. Like how American would that have been? And um, that has come and gone, and we blew it. So uh, back to your question, the the group chat is now. Um, I mean, it's it's fired up is one way to put it. I mean, it's I don't know if like hostile is the right word, but it's it's fired up cause just because I keep saying it, man. We we can't believe that we've gotten to this place.
2: Go back to the beginning and then see where you are now. Are there hurdles that have been cleared? And there's a few major hurdles we've got to get over now, or is it still just all completely jumbled and gray?
3: Well, I think as players, we feel like we have the most power in these negotiations that we've had in a while. And there's a lot of back and forth on when we were going to say the whole thing of, look, we're done negotiating. Just tell us when and where. And there's some guys that said like, no, like we need to keep putting out proposals and and trying to get full pro-ed pay for 70 plus games or whatever it might be. And, um, obviously we decided to say, we're done. Tell us when and where, and we'll be there implement whatever you're going to implement and we'll be there. And because of that, we've now seen Manfred and the owners come back and and basically threaten no season. And to us, that seems like nothing more than a ploy to get us back at the negotiation table. So we feel that we actually, that worked pretty well, right? We feel like that we've kind of have them backed into a corner of sorts where now they have to come to us with a proposal that makes sense because they want two things, right, Oral? And I'm I'm anxious to get your opinion on this too. Um, It seems like they've basically expressed two things that they want. They want expanded playoffs, but they also only want to pay us for about 50 games. So they got to decide what they want more. We own, as players, we own the playoff structure because that's part of a CBA. If that gets changed, we have to agree to it. So if they implement a schedule, the playoff structure doesn't get changed. It'll stay the same. So basically, they have to decide: what do they want more? Do they want to pay us for more games and have ex- extended playoffs, or do they want to pay us for less games and keep playoffs the same? And um, basically, by kind of sitting back and saying, "You guys come to us and tell us when and where," I feel like we've we've kind of made them have to make a decision.
2: Does the players do understand that probably a lot of this is built around the television network and the contract, so that baseball can fit into the slots it needs to? Because you didn't when you get to past September, you're competing with other sports in prime time.
3: Sure. No doubt. And and I I think that's one, one area that we as players in the, in the things that we proposed, we fell short because we were kind of hell bent on trying to play into October and deeper and in November. Right. And the owners never even really gave that a chance, never even listened to that as an option. They kept saying, no, you know, we're going to, keep it September 27th and we're going to, you know, keep the playoffs on the same schedule. Yet we kept coming back with these proposals trying to play into the middle of November till Thanksgiving, whatever it was. And um, I feel like if we could have, obviously you're, you know, trying to negotiate, trying to get what you want, but I think it was obvious from the start to me that we were never going to play deeper into the, into the year. And I think if we could have made a more uh, even proposal to both sides earlier, we might be in a better spot right now.
1: So you, you mentioned that the, the ploy, was to get you back to the negotiating table and that it worked, so what is next then are are you as players anticipating something like is the ball in their court and you're anticipating something from them, but you are it sounds like maybe ready to react to it
3: so that's been another thing that we've been chatting about too is is some people think that now if we do go back to the negotiation table, we look weak, but I don't necessarily think that's the case because if we get even if we go back, but we get what we want, that's not weak. That's That means our tactic of sitting back and saying, y'all come to us worked, nothing more than that. Um, you know. So that's been another battle. So it does seem like, yes, we are in a position where we will wait for them to come to us because we feel like we have a little bit of the upper hand right now and um, we're expecting them to give us a proposal. Or, I mean, uh, heck, man, Trevor Bauer had a really good – twitter thread yesterday that basically said um now the owners just kind of have to waste find a way to waste like 10 days before they can implement the 50 games so once again man you're just hearing all sorts of stuff but we feel like we can sit back and hopefully get a proposal from them here in the next like day or two i don't know when this podcast is going out so i'll i'll say you know by by the weekend of the 20th
1: Yeah, that's the tricky thing, right? We're recording this Wednesday morning and you hope that things move fast enough where when we put this out Thursday, this is all a moot point and we figured something out.
2: This is a complicated negotiation because you guys have not started your season where the NBA and the NHL have already had three quarters of their season. They're going to jump into maybe a few games in the playoffs. And then what makes it even more complicated is that other the the overall CBA is up next year. So you really do you feel like there's some tactics it that it's not about you know, clear and present danger, it's about the future also,
3: yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one reason why we're definitely trying to hold the playoff structure in our hands a little bit. That's a big chip to give away. Uh, another part of it, oral that'll that'll fire you up because I know you did a lot of the union stuff back in your day is is we had a lot of young guys that had no idea what it was like to battle the owners in a cBA, right? And now, I mean, obviously you don't wish a pandemic or a season like this on anyone, but now these young guys, I believe they're like 60 something percent of our league are making the minimum. Uh, they see what it's like to, to fight the owners and and to get after it with Manfred. And now as the CBA approaches, they're going to have an idea of what we have on our hands and they're going to be fired up and they're going to, we're going to be unified and we're going to know what it takes to, to negotiate with them. And I, I think that's a silver lining in all this is, is how united we are. But, you know, obviously you, you wish it was in different circumstances. There's an
2: education that's going on for everybody, no matter what, but the education is always deeper when there's a fight compared to when it's everything is in harmony.
3: Right. Exactly.
1: Maybe this is a two part question. Are we thinking enough about the big picture and the implications long-term for the sport? And the second part of that is, I guess when I say we, are you as the players and the owners, should you be? Is it a responsibility to think about the fact that this sport's been played for hundreds of years and that hopefully it's played for hundreds more?
3: Yeah, no doubt. I I do think a big issue in all this is how short-sighted it's been um you know you can't hardly argue that it hasn't been short-sighted it it needs it needs to be about the long game and and i think that's why you keep seeing things about there'll be a season no matter what and and i've been quoted as saying baseball can't go dark for 16 months i don't know why i started saying it that way but i've just kind of stuck with it if if we basically take 16 months off man i think we've already lost a lot of fans throughout this and now we take 16 months off um you know, I don't. I don't really know how well you come back from that. Uh, I, I just. I worry about the game long term for sure. So I, it is upsetting that this has been such a short sighted negotiation and battle when there's when there's like you said a hundred years of baseball uh, in the balance.
1: Shift away from this a little bit. I mean, that's fantastic stuff. Just really great stuff and perspective from your guys' side. Kind of a, a similar idea, but not related to this. If I make you commissioner for a day. Okay, so throw, forget about this whole thing. The commissioner for a day, what are you doing with baseball? As, as if this whole thing never happened with the game itself.
3: Sure. Good question, man. Uh, we, we This is like bullpen talk. We talk about this kind of <laughs> stuff all the time. Uh, I've, I'm definitely on the side of making baseball come into the new age of sorts, which I think we'll try out a lot in this season, which is um, – putting microphones on guys, more access to guys. Um, let's see, even, uh, like bat flip pimp jobs, you know, let the kids play kind of stuff that the NFL's done. I think that we're struggling to keep Gen Z interested in that, you know, they just aren't going to sit and watch a four hour baseball game like our generation and the generations before us. Right. So how can we keep growing and, and keep it interesting for the, um, younger generation and i think that is by letting players show their personalities and i think that the two ways that i just said are a good way to do it i think there's a bunch of other ways for sure but those are the ways that come to my mind right now
2: pitch clock electronic strike zone replay length of time
3: yeah good questions let's see i would uh i like that replay is in there i wish you could speed it up obviously automated strike zone is that about um Man, I just love baseball for the human element, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's that's the strike zone.
2: Um My take on that is that when the fans know something, but then they know the umpire did the opposite, that's really hard. Yeah. You know? I think that's why we have replay that, you know, the television coverage was showing fans that the guy was out, but now he's still safe and standing on second base. You know, now the television people live, they get they see the ball go through the strike zone, they see the strike zone light up and it's a ball and they go, Hmm, I'm not that's the part. That's the part I I think is unfair to the fan.
3: Yep. I agree.
1: Seems like 5 years ago now, but remember that time when you uh played for the Angels? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I do, man. The craziest 5 days of my life. Gosh.
1: I mean, like it was it I know it technically was not done, but you were looking at real estate in Orange County, right?
3: We were. Yeah, we were. It was it was long enough that we were reaching out to guys on the angels to talk to them about where to live and what to expect. And then, um, you know, and, and it's just funny. You have people texting you and calling you asking like what's going on and I don't have answers for you and trying to call Friedman every now and then to even get some answers if you can. And he's kind of like, look, we're, we're stuck. I don't have those answers for you. And you're just like, gosh, this is brutal, you know? Um, and yeah, that feels like a lifetime ago now, man.
1: I Don't think you were calling him as much as Jock, if that's any consolation.
3: No, I, yeah, I heard uh, I heard maybe I was texting or calling like once a day. I heard Jock was in the double digits.
1: <laughs> uh, what are you reading right now?
3: Good question. Oh man, um, always the best question, right? Yeah, for a reader. So I've been cruising through her name is Sherry Lapina, I think it could be Lapena, I'm not sure. So she's written a couple. Bestsellers—they're called uh, the couple next door, the stranger in the house, an unwanted guest, someone we know. They always, those all kind of sound the same, huh? But uh, they're just fiction thrillers, as you know, Joe. That's what I stick to. I—I uh, I still need to do the one that you've been recommending like crazy. One of our trainers read it. Um,
1: American Kingpin.
3: Yeah, Kingpin. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I need to get after that one. I just—I'm so stubborn about kind of stick, sticking to best-selling fictional thrillers because I know they're going to be good. That I don't—I don't branch out much.
1: Here's the thing though American Kingpin is like fiction,
3: Like Wait, it's, it's that out- outrageous, yes, yeah, <laughs> it is
2: gripping. Perfect. What is Shelby doing while you're reading this?
3: Yeah, good question. have her own hobbies. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, so we're in the process of furnishing a home back in Texas, that's definitely got her busy right now. She she um has these cool. I guess there are apps on her computer where she can like basically make the house and, and furnish it in different ways and, and, and try all that out. Um, and then now that we're back West and, um, you know, in, in Los Angeles you can go to the beach and there's some teammates here and their wives are here. So she stays busy. She knows the lifestyle now, you know, it's tough at first. She's been traveling with me. I guess this will be the third year, you know, at first finding stuff to do, but, um, you know, she's she's a grinder now, man. She knows Father's Day
2: right around the corner. Are you thinking is there any family planning going on at your house?
3: I think it's did you say Father's Day?
2: Father's Day's around the corner and family planning.
3: Yeah. You know what? Uh I'll plead the fifth on that one, Oral. <laughs> uh,
1: two books that you told me to read. One of them I I credit for getting me back into reading, City of Thieves. Yep. Amazing, and then Silent Patient, you said was your favorite book you read in 2019.
3: Yes, yeah, yeah I recommend that one all the, the time. into that thing, yeah, dude, yeah, unbelievable. That was, you know, I feel like I've read enough books now where I can, you know, kind of get an idea of where it's going a little bit. Uh, that one wasn't even close. I mean, wasn't even in the ballpark.
1: He's your favorite author, right? Or up no, there? that
3: was a one-time hit. Oh, that guy, really? that was his first book. Yeah, he hasn't written, uh, Hadn't. I mean, I'm sure he's working on it, but he's got, he's got a big uh, big thing to live up to with that first one. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting to like,
1: because the twist doesn't come until the last few pages. Right. And you get to it, I'm like, no way, no way. Oh, and you, you see it happening very quickly once you get to those last few pages. We don't want to spoil it for Oral, who I'm sure has it on his shelf.
2: Well, I'm thinking now you got to take those pages and like rip them out and put them in a safe so you don't read them now. <laughs> Uh, uh, how do you organize your books?
3: Uh, Good question. They were organized in my parents' closet for a long time. I felt bad. I didn't have a place for them. So if I had them, I would just either send them home. Because I like to read the real book. I don't read on a Kindle or on my phone or a tablet or anything. I I buy the book and read it, and then you're stuck with the book, obviously. Um, I do have some in our house in Texas that are ordered by basically how much I like them. Honestly, like they're not by color or by author or anything like that. They're like, I have a section of books I really liked and they're like in the best spot. Right. And then section of books that I kind of like and they're kind of in the middle. And then the books that were just, yeah, whatever, like at the very top. Right. (laughs) Like I'll never see those again.
1: What's your favorite book?
3: Uh, I always say Jack Reacher. I mean, heck, there's 20 something of them. So it's hard to pinpoint one down. But I like Jack Reacher because he's there's so many books about like a strong male character that served in the army. And it's now you know he's got all the gadgets and the gear and and you know night vision and like all this stuff. I like Jack Reacher because he's just this like old school dude. He's basically homeless, and if you treat women the wrong way or treat someone weak the wrong way, he's gonna beat you up and then he's gonna take down your whole organization while he does it. And uh, I like him because he's just simple. He doesn't doesn't even hardly use guns or anything. He just like old fashioned. I'm gonna punch you and and get what I need.
1: Did you do Lord of the Rings?
3: Oh, uh, dude. Unbelievable question by you. I've never seen the movies or the books or read the books. We started the first movie last night, <laughs> so uh, that's just good timing by you.
1: Wow. Well, maybe I'm watching. Yeah. Maybe I'm watching you, Ross. I, I see you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would recommend the books. I haven't read them since I was in middle school, but I call those my favorite. It's kind of my stock answer.
3: Yeah. I mean, I've heard nothing but good. Th- it's you know, almost feel like you can't call yourself a reader unless you've gone back to do what like. All the Harry Potters, all the Lord of mm-hmm. the Rings like those. I mean, they're just classics. And you know they're going to be unbelievable.
1: We're going to finish up with some rapid fire here. Uh, the answers to these questions are just simply going to be one of your teammates. Oral, do you have them in front of you too? Oh, I could find them. Yeah, I got it. Okay. All right. I'm not a reader, but I'll find them. <laughs> uh, best potential fill-in for you as a podcast host on your show?
3: Uh, Justin Turner.
2: Who on the team would you let manage your portfolio?
3: Ooh, gosh, good question. Um, AJ Pollock. Yeah. Do you Teammate. want me to give any explanation or just, uh, just straight?
1: I may come back for an explanation on a couple of them, but let's keep it rapid. You're actually doing it rapidly, and I think you're the first one to do that, so let's take advantage of it. Teammate to cook you dinner.
3: Teammate to cook me dinner. Um. Gosh, this has to be a super obvious answer that I'm not thinking of. I'm going to go – I'm going to go – it's got to be one of the dairy-free guys, right, because they have to be creative. I'll go Kike. Okay. <laughs> Kike. And you might All get right. the
2: Latin flair with it, too.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: What teammate would make the best commissioner?
3: That's JT as well. I mean, Kirsch, Kirsch up there. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. go JT, though.
2: And
1: then who is – this is our, our go-to each week. Who's the last man standing in a cage match?
3: Oh, man. You know what who always falls we talk about this is this is just great bullpen talk once again who always falls under the radar no one talks about and who did 100% win this is Pedro Baez. Okay. Nobody's messing with Pedro Baez. It's it you, first off you can't move him. He's the size of a boulder <laughs> and if he's actually angry you just have no chance. So, I'm sure most people, you know, don't think to think Pedro Baez in that question but
2: his whole body is one big muscle.
3: It really is, man. It's unbelievable. Um the other answer to that would be Joe Kelly, just because Joe's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Pedro, I think, could eat Joe Kelly if you wanted.
1: So. <laughs> Cody Bellinger answered uh, Pedro Baez. Everybody else has
3: answered Austin Barnes. Oh, Barnesy! Yeah, good call, Barnes. Man, yeah, I don't. <laughs> Angry Barnes. I don't want to mess with Angry Barnes either.
1: Hey, Angry Baez! Though, has anybody ever actually seen that?
3: I've seen it once, and it it haunts my dreams. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> it was so scary. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen it once, you know, I've seen him like flustered, frustrated, but at one time uh, I've seen him just pure anger and it, yeah, it was, it was like be a good really character for a book. No, because, well, <laughs> he's so quiet. <laughs> yeah, he's so quiet, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, there wouldn't be a lot of words. It'd be a but short story. He'd be
2: story, like a sideline character, right? And then all of a sudden he'd erupt at the end. Yeah, he'd be the twist. The twist would be
1: bias comes alive and beats you all in <laughs> a cage match. Uh, who who is the best bullpen conversation?
3: it's It's Joe Kelly, hands down. Um, I mean, the stuff that he comes up with is so out of left field and <laughs> and that's why he makes the most perfect bullpen player because you know it, it the first couple innings, it's just past time, Kind of try and keep your adrenaline down, your heart rate down a little bit. You know, let's get through these first few innings before it's just all hell breaks loose. And uh, Joe is perfect for that because it's just sit back and he'll bring up some of the most outrageous <laughs> things you've ever heard. And I've always said like that. You talked about it earlier about how um, or I guess I talked about it, about how we can make baseball interesting to the younger generation. I tell you what, man, just start bullpenning microphoning, uh, every bullpen. Oh yeah. And, uh, I mean, it'd have to go on HBO, but, uh, for sure it, it, it would, it would get some views. I promise.
2: Are there any games like in our day we had pain, your neighbor, you've got the sunflower seed contest of who can flick it the farthest or more accurate, throwing it in a little cup. You got any of that stuff going down there?
3: Well, you know what? In the big leagues, I would say you got to watch out with that kind of stuff, right? When we're, we're trying to win a hundred games, Um, you know, you don't want to look like a bunch of hooligans down there, you know, like I was just flipping a seat as far as I can. And all of a sudden I'm coming in with second and third one out, you know? So, uh, I remember those things from the minor leagues. The best one from the minor leagues was you'd get a cup, you know, just like a water cup and you'd put it out maybe 10 feet away from the fence and you'd go up to the kids and be like, Hey, you know, uh, try and try and make a quarter into the cup. And what would happen is you'd end up making like 15 bucks because kids would just start heaving quarters out of left field to try and make it in the cup. And uh, really, I mean, I think I only ever saw one kid make it. So usually you're just pocketing those quarters. And and,
2: uh, What's the kid win if he throws it in?
3: Yeah, he gets all the quarters. Oh yeah. Them all. oh, yeah. Yes. So you just leave them sitting there. And then if he makes them, then you got to go pick them up and give them all to him. But then you just start it over. Right. And then they just heat <laughs> them all back. So it's, you got nothing it's, to lose. it's a foolproof process.
1: We got to get you cut loose. Sounds like a pretty good little golf threesome. You, Corey Seager, Justin Turner going
3: to go hit them? Yeah, it's going to be fun. I am by far the worst player, but I got the golf itch basically for the first time in my life right now. So hopefully can take a good step forward. We played a course Last week, called Coyote Hills or Coyote Canyon or something like that. It was impossible. I t- the fairway, no joke, was probably ten <laughs> yards wide. I mean, it was just—it was a miserable experience for me. Did so your shoe deal?
2: Did your shoe deal get you some new clubs?
3: No, I need to get on that. No, yeah. what, what's nice is I, I got—I uh, got nice friends who have like six <laughs> sets. Great sets. You know? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I just—I just, I just bum. Ross, <laughs> this was
1: a lot of fun, my friend. Thank you for doing this.
3: Oh, of course. Thank you, guys.
2: Hit them straight, man.
3: Yeah, will do. You guys keep it up, man. I'm glad to see another podca- Dodger podcast out there.
1: All right, joined by the skipper Dave Roberts. Doc, what was the best thing you saw
0: this week? The best thing I saw this week was baseball um, on a on an amateur level. The San Diego uh, League is uh, started up this past weekend, and my son Cole. Is already in two games. Uh, in they're uh, they're struggling right now. They're zero and two. But you know what? We have baseball. There's eight teams in the league, and uh, it's good to see those guys. And I and I haven't been down there because I don't. They're not allowing visitors or you know fans. But I can. They stream every game, so I, I couldn't be happy right now.
1: How's he playing.
0: He's playing well. He's playing short, a little bit of second. So he's th- throwing out a knock and a walk each game. So uh, he's off to a good start. Love it.
2: Oral. Um, uh, best thing we had happened is I was making some green egg pizza this week and it, everyone I made more and more family came over. And by the end of it, it was a family gathering. And fortunately we had enough crust to just keep making pizza all night. So we had a nice family gathering for the first time in a long time. Uh, and next door neighbors came and they brought their grandkids and there was probably 15, 20 people in the house. Pizza is becoming your specialty on there. Having pizza tonight again. Jeez. I, I love that. I we love have that. pizza once a week on there.
0: That's good. There's a place that uh, I go to down here in San Diego, and it has that cauliflower crust. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much lighter. It just doesn't get that heavy, bloated feeling after. So I want you and Dana to kind of look into that as well. <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, if,
1: if we're doing this multiple times a week, that may be a good thing to explore. I, I'm willing to bet, though, you haven't. You haven't played with the cauliflower crust on the edge yet? I have not, but
2: I've gotten it down to paper thin, which is really tasty. Where do you get crisp. the dough? Uh, we get it at our, a New York pizza parlor that they'll sell you the raw dough right before they go to make it. You just go in there and I get two full uh, loaves that I break into four and uh, they uh, they do a nice job. It's like seven bucks. That's it. Sweet.
0: Yeah. What um, was your best thing, Joe?
1: Best thing. Have you guys ever watched Ken Burns' baseball documentary?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I I uh, have seen pieces of it throughout my life, but going insane with no baseball this week. I said, you know what? And we just finished up Succession. Well, I binge watching that. So I said, I, I got something else I got to do. My dad is still here. We've been watching Ken Burns baseball, uh, and you know the the first two innings of it, as he calls them, are the 1800s and the early 1900s, and so similar for you, Doc. Just some semblance of baseball. It's been fun to watch that. Absolutely. Uh, the other best thing I saw this week, I guess, is today. And uh, Dave, we recorded with Ross Stripling this morning, Wednesday morning, 9.30 this morning, and it was bad, bad, bad when it comes to the negotiations and where things stood. But we we all kind of said, look, this is changing quickly, we hope. And who knows when this podcast comes out on Thursday morning where things are going to stand. Well. Now, as we sit here and record, it is 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon, and between Ross's interview and our discussion here, we've got progress. Rob Manfred and Tony Clark have, for the first time, sat down in person following those in-person meetings. Major League Baseball has sent another proposal to the players that calls for a 60-game, fully prorated season. And there's still a lot to to figure out at this point, two o'clock Wednesday afternoon. But doesn't it feel like finally some momentum towards baseball? Uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. And, and it was very encouraging. It's one of those week to week things where you're optimistic, then you're kind of a little doubtful. Um, but yeah, right now it was good to see the two heads of, of both parties kind of get together, face to face, and and hopefully come to some consensus that'll benefit all of us. So yeah, so they come as as a, as they as the owners you know proposed a 60 game situation so you know I'm not a betting man but I would say it's a little bit north of that but if it settles at 65 something like that I think that's a win and and honestly guys you know with what we've been going through in our country any baseball I think is a win for all of us
2: you know skip uh, with our experience with some labor strife in our past um, it seems like the when it gets the noisiest is when all of a sudden you're getting close to a deal. You know, when you're far apart and everybody's just posturing, and then you got committees meeting and players are getting together in large groups, but when it gets down and it really seems like it's bitter and it's going to fall apart, it's really not. It's coming to a head where they're really talking. You know, the only time I can remember is when we canceled the World Series, that when something got really bitter in public and all of a sudden we didn't have a deal, that was the only time, 94.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When it's like.
1: You're right about it. It hit rock bottom. You're talking about, you go from Commissioner Manfred saying 100% there will be a season to he's not confident there will be baseball. That would be an utter disaster for the sport, not for 2020, but for the sport, the health of the sport moving forward. There there, there can't not be a season.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. And I think all sports fans, baseball fans fans feel that same way. And it's tough. And I think that both uh, heads of both parties are, are, in a tough spot because, you know, anything they say, they're trying to be, you know, optimistic at some point at cer- certain points, and then they're trying to be realistic at other points. And, and I think that with the way things are with fans and, and everything that gets out there, you know, you could have the best intentions, like I think Commissioner Manfred did, uh, to say that there will be baseball 100%, but then, you know, when, you, when you're not in complete control, it can kind of work it really against you, and that's kind of what happened. But, um, again, I, I'm just happy that they got in front of each other.
1: We let Ross play commissioner for a day, Doc, and we said, "Okay, put aside all the negotiations, put aside the coronavirus, just uh, baseball, kind of in a vacuum."
0: If we make you commissioner for a day, Dave Roberts, what would you do? Wow. Um, So, seeing that this is something that would never uh, happen, I can play play along with you too. I think first thing I would do is I would lower ticket prices. I, I think that. You know, getting fans and understanding that the Dodgers, you know, Yankees and other markets still do really well. But I I think that lowering the fan, the ticket prices will get people in there and you'll make up for it with concessions and parking and just the environment. And to have, you know, seven, 10, 15,000 fans uh, in a ballpark just makes no sense. And even in some markets, it's you can't lower it enough to get them in there. That's fair. Um, I would lower the ticket prices. I would start games at 630 and I think that, you know, especially April, May, um, you look at September where school starts. I think the early start makes a parent feel like I can get there, watch the end of the game, still get home, get my kids to bed to then get ready for school, where once you get past 10 o'clock, you're kind of getting people ejecting early, and, you know, the biggest, the most important part of the game is at the end, so uh, to to have fans be there towards the end, I think that'd be fun for the players um, and the fans as well. I think that... uh I would have, in the spirit of kind of what's going on, I would have uh, players and coaches, a player, a dedicated coach, each game being mic'd up. And I think that you could rotate that every game. So essentially, every game, there's going to be two people, you know, in uniform, mic'd up, and it'll just add different content for, for the viewer and just gives different insight. And so I think it'll be good for the fans that aren't paying to go watch baseball to be in their homes and to kind of get a different vantage point. I think that'd be great. Um, and the last thing in the spirit of competitive balance, I think that there should be a floor. I would think there'd be a floor as far as salary um, for every team. I think that, you know, when you get teams that are kind of, you know, really on the low, low end, and I don't know what the percentage for the lug- the, 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 the luxury tax uh, threshold is. It's a percentage mm-hmm. of that, a half of that, a third, or there's a certain number that changes every year and goes up. But I do think that, you know, in the spirit of competitive balance, to get teams kind of closer together, it'd make it better for baseball.
1: That would be your way of combating tanking? You said it. I said it, not <laughs> you. You said it, not <laughs> me. You're the commissioner, though. <laughs> uh, how, about, how about the game on the field? Any rules that you would push or that you would?
0: On, on the field, I, I think that I was a dynamic baseball player. I, I love the thought of, and there's a little chatter about, the left-handed pitcher, once he, from the stretch, man on first base or man on second base, there's no inside moves. He has to uh, disengage the rubber to to make a pick at second or at first base, I mean, step back to then throw, as opposed to when he does lift his leg to um, disguise a throw over and throw to first. Um, so I think that that gives the base runner an, an advantage because now once he picks up his leg, he can he's free to go. And that's the same thing at second base. So I think that's a good thing that would get more base stealers, um, more you know, involved. Um, I, I I honestly I don't mind the shift. I, I think that the way that they're managing the pitching I think is good. I think that the the, the talk of um, extra innings. I think that getting that guy on second base after an inning or two. I think that that makes sense because you know it gets long and it's a lot of baseball. Um,
2: Dave, the one I think about I, to speed up the game, this whole replay on the tag and the foot touch first, and then the knee might have come off, and you know, then we've got to watch it to see if a guy comes off an eighth of an inch. And I think that if you don't try to advance to the next base, but you beat the original tag, then you're it's just like the rule at first, you're safe. You know, there's no and you protect the base runner, you protect the guys. You know, JT even said with a rule like that, you protect the fielders that have to keep their glove down in there and make sure they touch the guy. So if the guy's safe on the first brush, he's safe. And if he comes off the bag, you know, slightly because of the speed or just trying to slide safely and not break his ankle or twist his knee, he then, as long as he doesn't get up and try and go to the next base, he's safe.
0: Even though the tag was still on him after he,
2: you know, completed through the slide.
0: No, that's, that's really, that's a really good take. Oh, that's a really good take. Um, Another thing, you know, what's interesting is that it's uh, you talk about the length of a game and the fan experience and, Something that I kind of joke with our players about is that walk-up music. You know, mm-hmm. it, it takes so long for guys to hit their part of the song, and they want to kind of get their <laughs> swagger. And, and I get it, and I love it. But I'll tell you, if you look at the time that it takes for these guys to get up to the plate to hit, that's that's a while. but you know, from the fans perspective, they love hearing, you know, Ed Sheeran with, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. Justin song coming up or different songs. So that's a part of it, but that certainly does take time. So, um, I just thought I'd bring that up as well. Yeah. well Co- Commissioner Roberts,
1: you sound pretty progressive, uh, when it comes to rules and ideas. How about robot ump's, robotic strike zones?
0: No, I, I, okay. I, I am all about the, um, the man, the, the person, the umpires. I think they do a fantastic job. I think, uh, It's just part of the history of the game. It's easy to yell at these guys, but they're doing the best they can. Um, And I will say this, and I think I might have told you guys before, is that you get an automatic strike zone. There's going to be a lot of upset hitters. Um, And these are the guys that are complaining about, you know, the umpires behind the plate. Um, You you face Clayton Kershaw, and you see that curveball, and then it drops and hits the dirt, and it's called a strike because it (laughs) goes high to low. Um, there's going to be a lot of people scratching their heads. So be careful what you wish for. So I like it just the way it is.
1: And you got to pick a fight with a computer. Oh, yeah, like, good, good luck, luck winning that, that one. one. Uh, they'll, they'll bring a bat. <laughs> yeah, to the computer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they'll bring a bat to the computer. <laughs>
1: uh, top four this week, guys, is uh, similar to like we did for Mother's Day. We're going to do not necessarily a top four, but four things in honor of dad. And I know you had a special relationship with your father, Doc. Uh, four things for you heading into this Father's Day weekend.
0: Yeah, you know what, this is gonna be something that's gonna be tough for my mom, uh, lose my father and my sister and I. um, But I think that I remember my dad um, coaching me as a little kid. um, So even coaching me playing soccer, he knew nothing about soccer. And as I got older, I realized that he had to read a book on the rules to know how to teach and, and coach soccer. Um, so him coaching my teams from baseball to football to basketball to soccer and all that stuff is a certain a vivid memory. Also, he used to take pictures when he had a chance of me playing the teams that he wasn't playing, and he would take these pictures, get them developed, and put them in a scrapbook. And, and he, I still have these scrapbooks to this day, and to see him write little captions on everything about the play I made or the team or reactions that I had, I'm telling you, it took a lot of work, and it's not like the cut and pasting iPhone take a picture. It's old school, and uh, my mom did a great job keeping together. So she fortunately gave those to me, and it just I love showing those to my kids. Um, so that's something. Uh, um, that's two. Another thing is my dad was in the military for thirty years, and when I got to high school, I used to watch him come to my games at three fifteen in his fatigues, and so I'd be out there getting ready, or, or the game already started, and he rolls up in his uh, camos, and you know, going straight from work to to the ballpark, or uh, you know, to the basketball, you know, to the uh, arena, and and watching me play. So that was really cool. My dad always showed up, so I love that. Uh, last one, uh, he's from the South, boys. So uh, he taught me how to play cards, spades, pluck, and dominoes. So you know, I remember when I used to go to my in-laws or friend our family's house in houston man we'd be at that dang table for hours playing dominoes bones or or cards so that was something i always and i've taught my kids how to play them as well
1: you talk about watching him roll up in his fatigues 315 you had to have this this constant thought to yourself my dad is a badass
0: right like, i i did it, it was more of like I'm afraid of my dad. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. if that means that he's a badass, yes. Um, but you know what it was interesting is every I it was all one of those things that if I ever wanted anything, I would go to my mom, my sister as well. And then but every time I asked him for anything, he would always say yes. Yeah. But he just had this scowl on his face <laughs> that I just was not about to go there and and I can say I never challenged my father uh, in all my years, so I always knew that, you know, that man strength or whatever, the respect, the love, my dad was. I guess you said it. He's a, he was a badass.
2: You probably never wanted to
0: hear your mom say, wait till your father gets home? Uh, exactly. <laughs> well done, Oral. And unfortunately, I heard it way too many times.
2: <laughs> Doc,
1: as always, we appreciate it. I'm glad we had something positive to discuss this week in terms of real baseball developments. Appreciate you sharing the stuff about dad and uh, next week, hopefully something even more firm when it comes. Oh to yeah. Baseball. Next
0: week we're going to be talking about spring training 2.0. How about that? That'd Love that.
1: And we can talk scouting reports on the first series and just all this real stuff.
0: I'm in boys. Thanks again.
1: Okay. Now for our father's day edition of top four, really not. I don't know
2: if it's top four, just four things. Yeah, for me, it it was not like okay, this isn't a recipe or a grilling thing. I I really thought through like moments that I can really remember with my dad, and the first moment that I thought about was when I was very little, and he was taking me to a church breakfast where he was going to be the chef, and we had to leave at the house like at four forty-five in the morning because the breakfast started at like seven, and he's making breakfast for like a hundred men, and so off we go, and it's like still dark. And my dad is running a few red lights on a way to a church (laughs) breakfast (laughs) because there's just no traffic on the road. He didn't run them full speed. He'd come up, let him look both ways, use it as almost a stop sign and then go through. And when we get there, he has to crack like, I don't know, four or five hundred eggs. And he starts, he was in the Marine Corps. He starts and he grabs, he puts the eggs on both sides of the pot and he's grabbing them with both hands and cracking them with only one hand. And then throwing the shells in the trash can without getting the shells in the eggs. Yes. And I said, Dad, how did you learn that? I remember, like, as a seven year old or six year old asking him, and he's like, I was in the Marine Corps and I had to cook like this. So I learned to crack eggs, one in each hand, boom, separate them, put them in the pot. And throw them away. And I—that's my dad was so cool that day. Wow, That was like, wow, my dad can crack eggs with
1: one hand. That was your my dad is a badass moment.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. Right
1: <laughs> up there with the fatigues for Dave Roberts. Uh, f- my dad uh, was a longtime high school football coach in Michigan. He's in the Michigan High School Football Coaches Hall of Fame. And so I just think about my life in football because of his job. My earliest memories are back to, you know, playing in the pile of of tackling dummies and, and blocking dummies at his practices and getting picked up from daycare and dropped off at dad's practices and getting old enough to run through the blaster machine with the ball and putting all the you know equipment on, being in the equipment room, the smell of the equipment room and, and how I, I can still imagine that smell, which is, I, I think, a horrible mm-hmm. smell. But for me, it's like it was the best smell being in there with all the old shoulder pads and the helmets and you know, the, I, I would take all that stuff home. So I go from, you know, being his, his kid hanging out around practices to a little bit older where I would be the ball boy or I'd be the water boy and then eventually playing for him and, you know, going through the, the college recruiting process where he was kind of my advisor on it and, and we made we made several trips together to check out colleges and went out to the mm-hmm. East Coast and checked out some
2: colleges. So just that whole football life together. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I think, uh, so when I got a little older, we get to high school for another memory. Uh, my mom loved to have my dad decorate the outside of the house for Christmas. And as I got older and could help my dad with all the different nails from the year before and things that we wanted to do, he comes up with this great idea that our chimney faced the front of the house was the front part of the front decor. And he wanted to go up on the roof and he wanted to lean over the top of the chimney and he wanted to pound a, a cement nail into the brick chimney so that he could hang a wreath up there. And so he wants to light this wreath. He wants the whole thing. And I got to go up on the roof with him because somebody's got to carry the wreath and somebody's got to make sure my dad doesn't fall. How old are you? At he's this got to drop. Oh, I'm like in high school. Okay. We're in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where I'm going to Cherry. Hill, going to Cherry Hill East, and I'm probably a sophomore or a junior. I got my dad climbing up on the top of a chimney crawling over the edge, hanging from his waist now, because he's got to hang upside down and pound that nail in there. And I'm holding his legs, and I am straddling the pitch of the roof, one foot on each side, holding my dad's legs, thinking, I am not letting go. So that was scary enough. But later in life, I restored a 1930 English tutor in Pasadena, California, while I was a Dodger. And the chimney was coming away from the house. So I had to have the chimney rebuilt. And it reminded me of if that chimney would have broke that day at the top (laughs) with my dad leaning over, because a chimney is secured to a house, right? In certain places, the rest of it, it just stands straight up and down. And so as the, the chimney can break away from the house, which it was in this 1930 House, but you know our you house wasn't think super it, old.
1: You think of a chimney being
2: just fixed and you're you're good. Like oh, a pillar. I still have flashes of my dad and I falling, like in bad dreams. Like that could have happened. So <laughs> there's a happy wow. thought
1: for my top four. <laughs> uh, my next one is also a little bit football related. My dad retired from coaching, uh, at least as the head coach, when I started playing in college, so he could travel to watch my games on the weekends. Uh his job that he's taken on since is as my spotter for my football broadcasts. So Fox flies him to wherever, whatever college town we're going to. You know, he comes in on Thursday night or Friday morning with our whole crew. He's in the coaches meetings a lot of times. He's in our crew dinners on Friday nights where we spend way too much money on food and drink. And you know, the the this wonderful part, you know, Oral and TV like yeah. food is a big part of what we do and dining out is a big part of what we do. And, and that's part of what makes it such a special experience, him being a part of those dinners and then being right there in the booth as I'm calling these games. And he takes it as seriously as he took coaching football. I mean, he really yeah. grinds on being great as a spotter. And it's I, I constantly remind myself how special it is that we get to experience yeah. that together.
2: Now, when he makes a mistake, is he the one who admits it, or you look at him, both or you talk about it after the game? Uh, a little bit of both. He's very hard on himself. I only,
1: sure. and i I only get mad at him if it's something that could have been controlled. Like, I don't know. I don't want to get too in the weeds on it, but I, I, no. I have gotten mad. I have gotten well, mad. yeah. You know, yeah. because my credibility at stake, and he knows. I think that's why yeah. he puts pressure on himself. Is he looks at a mistake <laughs> so as did like you, the end did of my career?
2: Your ability to study and be so particular about things did that come from your mom or your dad? Probably both of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was anything- say, if it was specifically your dad, then you'd be like, "I forgive you, son. I know, son. I've, yeah. I've taught you that particular trait." Yeah, that's yeah, a good question,
1: but probably both. Anything worth a, a darn about me is probably a combination of both of them.
2: That's awesome. My uh, number three is a pretty easy one because it, it goes to like Dave. It's My dad was a traveling salesman. He traveled from Philadelphia to New York when we lived in, uh, he traveled from Toronto, Canada to, to go to his different cities that he would call on different companies. And so there were a lot of times that I would see my dad, our Little League field was sunken and then it was the parking lot was up on the hill and up past the hill was a schoolyard and all the Little League fields were kind of piled in there and I could see his car pull in. As the game was starting, I could see the car pull in. As it were, ten minutes from the game, and I'm going to warm up the pitch. And I could see him taking his tie off and opening the trunk and throwing on a blue shirt or our team jersey because he was the coach or he was going to umpire, you know, and come trotting down the hill to to come be at my little league game and to be there on time and not go home after the you know and say I've been on the road for three days. I just went home and rest. How was your game? And talk to him in his easy chair. No, he was he was there and he was attending.
1: Next one for me joe days and my brother would have sam days my sister would have Catherine days and all this was was a day during summer vacation because he was a teacher as well so during his summer vacation before football season really got going where we got to choose what we did for the day with Dad, mm-hmm. and so there were a lot of golf uh, a lot of you know joe days where we went and golf and then we got lunch or got breakfast and then golfed. Uh, There was a day trip to South Bend. I was a huge Notre Dame fan. So just to go be down on campus, grew up a Cubs fan, short drive, a few-hour drive from Wrigley. There were several trips to Wrigley Field. Um, The South Bend one, I'm going to cheat and put in another memory, even though this wasn't a Joe day. So diehard Notre Dame fan growing up. He Mm -hmm. took me to campus there, and he was a Michigan State fan. I, I became a Notre Dame fan just watching games on TV as a really little kid. Uh, he took me to campus for the first time in 1995, so I was six, I was seven at this point, and it was the day of their first game of the 95 season. They were playing Northwestern, but I was under the impression we were just going to be part of the game day atmosphere. We, we couldn't afford tickets. There was no chance I was going to go, and that was fine. I, I didn't think twice about it. We're sitting mm-hmm. there on the quad you know the band's going by and we're just soaking in the game day atmosphere having I think we were having uh, sandwiches we were brought for a little picnic and he pulled out his checkbook and two tickets fell out of the checkbook and he said oh look what I found and so that's how we I, wow. I went to my first Notre Dame game that has a bad ending though they lost that game to Northwestern in overtime broke my dang heart. <laughs> <laughs> and that but didn't happen very often no though. that was a huge that was a huge thing i think that was northwestern's rose bowl season their head coach now pat fitzgerald
2: was a star linebacker on that team oh wow for me my last one and the number one thing it is the most time i get to spend with my dad and it's playing golf mm-hmm. um playing golf with my dad you know going to the club early you know going to the course early getting a sandwich all right ready going to hit some balls hey yeah and then we go out and play, and you've got your round, and then maybe even something after. So it's really a day trip with dad, and and we played a lot of golf. Played, I started playing golf when I was like five years old and play to this day. But yeah, playing golf with dad, I've learned more lessons and more about business and relationships because you play the two of you, but you play with two other men. Sometimes it was partners of his or people around him, business, and I would just learn about relationships and about about, about the world. I know we
1: said this isn't a top four, this is four things, but if it was a top four, this would be my number one. And that is, even though I didn't realize it at the time, every day that I was alive growing up, I was learning how to be a good dad and learning how Mm -hmm. to be a good husband because I had the best example for a dad at home. And I don't, you know, no kid realizes how lucky they are. Right. I think we all grow up and realize how lucky we were to have the parents that we did have and do have and, um, everything we learned from them.
2: Yep. For sure. Everybody says who's the most impactful person in your life. And everybody usually starts with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And then you go to somebody that they want to recognize like a Tomula sword or a Sandy Koufax or somebody like that for me. Yeah. I'm sure you have that same kind of list, but the top changes.
1: For sure. You're on that list for me. Oh,
2: I appreciate that. No,
1: no, really. Um,
2: I'm not going to say I love you, man. That's it. We got to save that for the
1: end. Yeah. It's okay. getting a little too sappy because we're not done yet. <laughs> Let's get to the mailbag quick before Oral starts crying. Uh, hey, we got a bunch of submissions into the mailbag with our first week having an email address. So uh, to reiterate that, send your questions in. you can tweet them at us still, but we now have an email address off air with Joe and Oral, all those words spelled out, at gmail.com. And our first Selection from many submissions and thanks so much guys for sending your, your questions and your comments in there. Uh comes from Brooks. I believe it's pronounced Juhas, Juhas, J U H A S Z. I'm sorry it didn't come with a pronunciation okay. guide. Uh he happens to actually be a pitcher at Lewis Clark State College. His dad, Chris, lifelong Dodger fan, shares his birthday with Vin Scully. We figured this would be a good guy to go to for the mm-hmm. first question. Uh, knowing every inch of Dodger stadium, he says, which part of the stadium, even if the fans can't access it, are you guys most mesmerized by?
2: I have so many, I have so many. Um, I have one that I'm completely jealous of, which is the Dodger locker room. <laughs> I wish I had had a locker room like that <laughs> and all the facilities that they have. It didn't look quite you like know. that, huh? Yeah, that's ours. would wasn't quite like that. And then the most mesmerizing, though, for me to this day is still getting off the elevator at the ground floor and walking through the trophies and walking through the retired jerseys and walking through the, you know, the MVPs and the Silver Sluggers and the Cy Youngs and all that. That's To see my name on a few of those walls with the other names, it's so humbling and so amazing to see.
1: Yeah. And if you haven't had a chance to check that out, make that appointment Mm -hmm. viewing to get down there and and see the basically walls of history and there is so much and they do such a great job in the stadium incorporating that history whether it's there or around the press box
2: yeah you know joe dodger stadium tour is worth it Mm -hmm. there's a lot of built great buildings and great places in the world and you go i don't need the tour i'll just you know i have my ticket or i have my this or whatever but that the stadium what they've done with the stadium is really worth the tour Mm -hmm. to get the backstage look yeah
1: yeah uh for me a couple one is just Our booth. How many times how many times a homestand? It may be every night. We look at each other and say, Wow, like this is our office. We get to look out and see this. Most people leave their office to go
2: eat and we bring the food back (laughs) to the booth. We love the booth.
1: Yeah, just to be in there and and see that backdrop. And cool thing is you get to see that backdrop no matter where you sit at Dodger Stadium. It just Mm -hmm. that happens to be our season ticket is is sitting in that booth. And then the other one is the opposite view. And you had this uh, from an incredible perspective on top of the mound at Dodger Stadium all those years. But for me, being down in the field and looking back up, so if you if you ever get a chance to do that, or even just with the new stadium uh, renovations, you can now, anybody with a ticket can go to the outfield. Or if you're in right. the pavilion, just looking back at the wall of seats. But there's something special about being down in the field and looking back at that. It's just so grand, so huge, and uh, from the first time that I stood on the field and looked at that, that's always struck me.
2: You know, they always honor the the fan that has been to the last thousand games the Dodgers have played at Dodger Stadium, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. the number is. They've, they've been a season ticket holder for 45 years. There's going to be a fan that goes to every game at Dodger Stadium that also walks around Dodger Stadium every game, mm-hmm. I think. I think there's going to be amendment to that. So what do you do? Well, every game, sooner or later, before, during, or after the game, I walk completely around Dodger Stadium. And I think with the renovation, that is such a special thing now to have access to the whole park. What are you most looking forward to this week? You know what? Father's Day. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I have evidence that I'm doing a pretty good job in that department because my stepdaughter wants to make sure she spends time with me. So... I met Sloane when she was eight, and now she's 23. And she told me I want to make sure I come over on Father's Day, so she's gonna have a couple visits, you know, with her dad, and then Mm. come over with me. But I thought, okay, that's some evidence I did. I did okay. You've earned that. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It'll be great to see her. Pizza. Uh, I don't know what we're gonna do there. They they want to take me out. I don't know how it's your house, but they say now, would you really enjoy working that day and barbecuing all day? And I'm, I'm like thinking. If it's not windy here in Las Vegas that day, it would be a great day to, to get out and smoke. You know, yeah. Maybe go back to the pork shoulder, which I did yeah. well. Something that I know I'm okay with. Because it ain't work, right? No. It, that private not. time? I might actually read a book, Joe. Ooh, what are you going to read? <laughs> I don't know. I'll get you I got, some ideas. I've got about 10 that you've suggested that yeah, I bought. You better but hurry up. We have
1: baseball coming hopefully before too long. you got to cram those what books you, in. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? getting to work, man. Yeah, uh, gosh, course. I'm going insane. The yeah. First, first month and a half, being honest, it's like, it was really, really nice being home. Yeah. And, and it still is really, really nice being home and getting to spend the extra time with the family. But you know the way I'm wired. I need to be, you know, I need to be piled in, in work and, and have something to work forward, look forward to and, and work to do. Yeah. I'm looking forward to them coming up with a deal, establishing a schedule, and I can look and see the Dodgers are playing this team on this date.
2: I'm gonna yeah. get to work learning about that team. I'm looking forward to also being in the booth with you and with Rick and with Boyd and those those couple of hours before the game when we're grinding and we're talking about the team and what we're gonna talk about, you know, and and I'm looking forward to brainstorming not being negative on the air because of where we are in the season and how long we had to wait for baseball. Because people I don't think are gonna want to hear, no. you know, the negative part of how late in the season is and oh, it's only a shortened season, and oh, the Dodgers, you know, this. we got to come back and be super positive and we got to just soak in the essence of the game and the glory of the game and the fun of the game that people are getting to do something instead of being just locked in their houses and worrying about catching the virus. Yeah.
1: Sounds like a deal to me and it sounds like a really easy thing to do, to be positive and love the baseball we're hopefully about to see. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I love that. And I love
2: you. Love you too, man.